It's interesting that we have uh, been on a journey talking about Hebrews, and even the Hebrews were struggling with wanting to quit in their walk with God, and they were wanting to resort back to, and you know, all of us have been prodigals at some point in time, wouldn't you agree? You know, I can remember even struggling in college myself, you know, as the world was pressing in on my heart, and there were pleasures of the, the world that were calling my name. Um, we've all wanted to quit, haven't we? We've all wanted to uh, get, leave the life, maybe, of, of living for God. But uh, something was going on in the, the Bible and in our lives where, again, it's like what was said earlier, the Spirit of God just will not let us alone. He continues to pursue us. He continues to come after us. And I don't know about you, I would have quit a long time ago if it wasn't for the Spirit of God drawing my heart. Anybody else? We've all had plenty of opportunities to quit, right? And we've been studying in Hebrews as we've been going over this, bio, the, this study of Hebrews. These, these Hebrew Christians, these Jews who had become Christians, they were really, really struggling. And we've learned a lot about their lives. If you've been studying with us, you, we've learned a lot about what they went through and how they wanted to quit so bad. But we've also learned that, uh, that the, the writer in Hebrews was, was trying to, to really encourage them to not quit. To, to not give up, and so that's where we're at as a church and, and, and it's in the study, and over the last several weeks as, as I've been teaching on Hebrews, I, I realized that the first 10 chapters of Hebrews really is foundation, foundation, truth upon truth. It's just a beautiful, uh, the first 10 chapters are just beautiful theology of what you and I are supposed to be believing about Jesus Christ and who he is. And if we believe that, it really does affect our behavior. What you believe does affect your behavior. If you don't believe those truths to be true, it will affect how you live. And so as we, as we go through the study and as I go today, I'm going to kind of try to land the plane in Hebrews. Uh, the first 10 chapters have been truth and foundation. And these last three chapters are all about encouragement and exhortation that the writer of Hebrews is bringing to these people in this book. And he's bringing encouragement so they, that they don't quit. And so I pray today as I get into the word, I pray that the spirit of God would even this prodigal message that's, that's taking place this morning, that, that God would use what I say today to draw all of our hearts closer to him to not quitting, to not shrinking back, to not, to not giving up, but, but pressing in and focusing our affection and our eyes on Christ. Because that's what these next three chapters, I'm not going to cover all three chapters. I'm really only going to stay in chapter, in chapter 11 of Hebrews today. Uh, I could, I, there, are so many, there are so many messages in 11, 12, and 13. I'm going to touch on a little bit in 12, but really I'm going to focus on what the writer of Hebrews was trying to do in encouraging and exhorting the Christians who were struggling in that day of quitting. And I pray that that message of, of what he was telling them will then give us insight today on how we're to carry our heart and how we're to walk. And I'm going to end with three things that if you'll do these three things, you will quit-proof your life. You will put yourself in a position where you will stay focused on the Lord if you will do these three things. And these three things we're going to pull out of Hebrews chapter 11 today. We're going to pull those things out and I'm going to show through what God was saying through this writer to these Hebrews. I'm going to pull out of that chapter some things that I believe are going to help us today to really keep ourselves from quitting. Does anybody want to keep from quitting? Shrinking back? It's really, really easy in our culture to quit. You guys realize that? We quit on relationships. We quit on work. We quit on church. We quit on everything in our nation. Many people quit. But you know what the title of this message is? Quitters never win. Quitters never finish. Fit quitters never get to the end of the promise of what God has for them. And so I'm trying to do something in this, this message of God really equipping us to be people who persevere and do not quit. So God, I ask today that you would help me as I share in your word, God, that you would, God, empower our hearts to stay focused and to fix our eyes on you, on what you're saying to us in Jesus' name. And I thank you for it. Amen and amen. Well, I want to start today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to stay in Hebrews 11, but I want to start 
with the end of chapter 10 because chapter 10 sets us up really good for what I want to talk about today. Because the writer in Hebrews lays some things down right at the end of 10 that sets us up for what he's trying to bring to them in, in chapter 11. So here's what the writer was saying to those Christians many thousands of years ago that is still relevant today because there's nothing new under the sun, right? And so here's what he was saying. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Everybody say richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Everybody say that. You need to persevere. In other words, don't quit, right? So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. Talking about Jesus returning. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. Let's say that. My righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. Praise the Lord. Father, bless the reading of your word today. I kind of look at this scripture right here as kind of a halftime coach pep talk. You're, at, you're in the halftime of the football game. Your team's been all beat up. You've got some injuries. You've got people who have quit. They can't play any longer. You're down by 15 points, and you're going, man, I just wish this game was over. And you're in the half room, locker room, and the coach is saying, man, don't throw away your confidence, guys. You can do this. He's saying, you need to persevere. Don't quit. I need you to show up, team. My righteous ones live by faith. Man, you got to believe. you got to believe we can do this as a team. Because, man, we're a team that doesn't shrink back. We don't quit. We're tough. We do not belong to those who quit, man. We gotta, we're not going to shrink back. That's not who we are. But we're a team. We're a team of faith. And we believe. And we, we're going to press in. And we're going to win this game. That's kind of how I see this scripture. That the writer in Hebrews is trying to encourage and exhort them not to quit. And then he goes into chapter 11. And he begins to paint this picture. And begins to show them and to get them to remember something. And that's what coaches do in the locker. They're reminding the team of what they can do. They remind the team of where they're going. They remind the team that, hey, we can beat these guys. you got to know who we are. we got to know who you are in Christ. And we can win this game. Now, quit being a baby. Suck it up, soldier. Put your big boy pants on. And let's believe that we can beat this team. And let's go out there and win. Anybody getting fired up this morning? Okay, we're going to win. And that's the halftime speech that I believe this writer was bringing to these people. And so now he's coming and he's bringing Hebrews chapter 11, which is our faith chapter. It's our hall of fame. It's our hall of fame, as, as, as we call it, our hall of faith that we call it in Christendom. And he begins to talk about all these ancestors, all these forefathers. He begins to talk about what faith is, and that's where I want to go today. And he starts and he says, remember, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, everybody say by it, by what? Faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. And so he's going over this thing about faith, and it takes faith to win. It takes faith to keep from quitting. And so I want to dive into this, this passage on faith, because it says faith, is a substance. Everybody say, faith is a substance. Now, we live in two different worlds, right? There is the natural world, there is the physical world that we live in, where I see Alger, I can see everything in this natural world. I can smell it, I can see it, I can see that tree, I can see the lights. We have a natural world that we live in, right? But there's also another world, one that you can't touch. It's just called the spiritual world. And that second world, you don't see it with natural eyes, you don't see it, you don't smell it necessarily. There are times you feel it on the inside, right? But you don't see the spiritual world. It's a world that's there, but you don't actually see it. 
You don't see it with natural eyes. But that world has a substance to it as well, just as your natural world has substance to it. That spiritual world has substance. And the way we activate or the way we connect into that spiritual world is through faith. Faith is the substance by which we activate and we come and we connect to the spiritual world that is there just as much as this natural world is. Are you guys with me? So we access the spiritual world through faith. Faith is how we interact with God and his spiritual world and his promises. And faith is how we see what is in God's world and we bring it into our natural world. Now, here we are into Christmas. I want to give an example of faith because he's starting with something that I think is very, very important because of where they were at as Christians. This Christmas, we're going to make a lot of goodies. Anybody going to be cooking for Christmas? Well, uh, I'm going to use the example of cookies. Anybody like cookies? Yeah, 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 yeah. I like cookies too. Well, in cookies, spiritually, if we look at cookies... Um, if I want to make cookies, I've got to get all the ingredients for cookies. I've got to get flour, I've got to get butter, I've got to get eggs, and I've got to for sure get peanut butter. Anybody with me on peanut butter? I love peanut butter cookies. Anybody want to make me peanut butter cookies this, this Christmas? I'll cheat for a while. Just make sure they're soft. I like soft peanut butter cookies. Soft peanut butter. You know, the kind that just melt in your mouth. Well, I've got to get all those ingredients together. And when I put all those ingredients together, I, by faith, believe that I'm going to make cookies. I believe that there's going to be a cookie down the road, right? Now, I can know that because I've made cookies in the past. It doesn't take faith to make cookies, right? I'm not saying that. But what I'm trying to use as a comparison is I must take, I must do something with the ingredients. I must take the substance of those ingredients that if I'm going to make cookies. And that's the way we activate the spiritual world as well. We take the ingredients of our faith. Faith is the substance by which I activate and I move into the realm of the spirit and the spirit world. Can I have an amen on that? So... Faith is the substance of what I'm hoping for. I can't see the cookies, but I believe if I put those ingredients together in the end, I have some cookies, peanut butter cookies. So spiritually, let's look at this. Faith in God is your substance of what you're hoping and believing God for, but you can't see it yet. There are some things you're believing God for. In this situation, they were believing God for some things. But you're believing God for something right now that you don't see. It may be a healing. It may be a saved loved one. It may be a prodigal coming home. It may be a healing in your body. It may be prodigals. It may be salvation. It may be seeing God do things in your family. All of us are standing believing God for something, aren't we? But the fulfillment of all the promises of God to you that you do not see yet those things require faith for you to in- activate and get the ingredients that you need in order to bring what you're believing God for into the supernatural or into this spirit world. And faith is required. Faith is not required if you already have it. Faith is not required if you already have what you're believing God for. You realize that. Faith happens when you don't have what you see you're seeing something that you need you see something that god wants you're seeing a promise that god has a desire that god has and it requires faith to bring it into the supernatural and to the natural from the supernatural to the natural so faith is required when you don't see it and you don't have it yet so we've got to grow our faith everybody say i need to grow my faith say it again i need to grow my faith Every man's been given a measure of faith, but guess what? It's like a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. And and you've got to grow your faith. You've got to mature your faith in your believing and trusting God. And here's what I hate to tell you this, but trials, trials grow your faith. Say, trials grow my faith. So in Hebrews, what did they not yet have? What was it that they were believing God for? What was it they didn't have, and what faith were they needing? 
We know they were suffering. We know they were struggling. But really what they didn't have that they were believing God for and needing and the writer was trying to bring is they did not have confidence in Christ alone. They were struggling with unbelief because of their trials and suffering. They needed reminded. Everybody say reminded. They needed encouraged to not quit. They needed reminded of their faith in God, and God was maturing their faith through this trial. Amen on that. He was taking them deeper in their faith and trust. And so in chapter 11, as we start here, he begins with, ultimately, remember God's works. Everybody say, remember God's works. And now he's taking them through this list of these heroes of the faith. And he's going to go through memory lane with them. Because if they're not going to quit, they're going to need to be reminded of what God has done. Amen? And so we're going to take a look at what God has done through this scripture. Because God was reminding them in chapter 11 of what others and their ancestors before them, what they had done and what God had done and how faithful God was. And we're going to take a look at that today through the scripture. So you guys ready to go there today? All right. So let's look at the hall of faith. The testimonies of faith in action. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? So we start here, and I was going to leave this out. Okay, we won't go there. So let's read it. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And what I want to make a point here is in this, he starts out right off the bat talking about creation, that God created the universe with his spoken word. Now, none of us here in this room were there when God created the earth, were we? There's none of us who seen God say, let there be, and it came to pass, is there? None of us were there, the Hebrew writers weren't there, and he uses this right off the bat to say, listen, it is by faith that you believe that God created the universe. He created the world, and they were framed by the word of God so that the things that we see in our natural world did not come from things that were visible. But God created them, and he said, and you know what? There's many people who do not believe in the creation by God, right? And because they don't believe it, they don't follow God. It requires faith to believe that God created the earth. You're not going to logically figure it out. Scientifically, there are things that prove that it happened, but there's obviously the Big Bang Theory. I believe there was a Big Bang. God said bang. And I'm not going to prove that to anyone. I'm not going to logically argue that truth to anyone that doesn't have faith because it requires faith to believe that. Does it not? It requires you to believe God did that. And it is through the eyes of faith that you activate that truth inside your heart. And you can be stubborn and say it ain't true. But guess what? Just because you think it's not true doesn't mean that it's not true. So he's encouraging them right off the bat. By faith we understand the worlds were framed. And we weren't there to see it. But faith brings us into that world it brings us into that spiritual world to where we can activate by faith and we can believe what god has said and we as people of god trust that what god said is true amen and faith activates me to faith is the ingredients of the cookies faith is the ingredients to to where i believe that and bring that spiritual truth into my natural world now let's go to the next one i own um, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, Abel being dead, still speaks. Abel is still speaking today. Now, here's where I want to go. This was Adam and Eve's children, right? I don't know if you know the story. Adam and Eve had, had sons, Cain and Abel. And Abel was, he was a shepherd and Cain was a grain farmer is the way I look at it and Cain worshiped the Lord with his grain offering and he brought a grain offering before the Lord 
and he sat it before God as he worshiped the Lord. And Abel brought the fat of an animal, and he laid that, that animal before the Lord as he worshiped the Lord. Now you might say, well, oh, God's a meat eater then. God likes meat, and all you plant-based people are in deep true trouble. No, that's not what was going on here. What was it that made Abel's sacrifice of worship acceptable into the eyes of the Lord? The Bible says it right here. By faith, Abel offered the sacrifice to the Lord. Cain did not bring his worship before the Lord in faith. Do you realize that we can come to church and we can worship the Lord here? Do you realize we can come and we can offer our tithes before the Lord? We can offer worship. We can get in the Word. We can do all the right spiritual disciplines outside of faith. And it doesn't please God. That's what happened with Cain. Cain was bringing his sacrifice to the Lord, but it wasn't in faith. Abel brought it through the eyes of faith is what Abel did. Now look at this. If Abel, or if Cain did that, and, he, and we as people ourselves can literally bring our sacrifice and our worship to the Lord, not with faith, that also means that we can, if we practice religious disciplines in faith, we can delight the heart of the Lord. That if we actually bring our sacrifices and our worship like Abel did, if we bring these things before the Lord, that it actually brings such pleasure to the Lord when we bring our sacrifices in faith. Bible says, without faith it is impossible to what? Please God. Abel's sacrifice pleased God. Does your sacrifice of worship, your sacrifice of praise, your sacrifice of giving your tithe and your offerings unto the Lord, are they by faith or are they out of duty? Cain brought his sacrifice out of duty and Abel brought it out of faith and out of love towards God. There's a difference. And you've got to determine where am I at in this 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 place of faith. Is my worship, is my giving connected to God in faith or am I just going through the motions? The song we sang this morning, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've, what I've made worship to be. I'm sorry. And I think God's looking at our hearts today and saying, I want you to offer these things out of faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so Abel pleased the Lord, and check this out. What was the blessing, and what was the reward that Abel got? He was murdered. He suffered. His reward was in the life to come, the spiritual world. He didn't get his promise, and he didn't get his war reward here on this earth. He got it in the next one. And God starts to encourage the Hebrews in this first chapter of Hebrews, in chapter 11, he begins to encourage them to have faith in God. And when we have faith in God, sometimes faith in God does not mean that you won't suffer. Sometimes your reward is not on this side, but it's on the other. Because they needed to hear this because they were suffering and they weren't understanding why God wasn't bringing breakthrough for them. They had been going through suffering for years and their faith and wanting to quit was happening. How many have shipwrecked their faith in this house when God hasn't answered your prayer when you've wanted him to answer it? When God hasn't broke through like you want God to break through and it doesn't happen on the timetable that you want it to happen on? 
and they've shipwrecked their faith, and they've withdrawn from God. They've gotten disillusioned and walked away from the Lord. I've got a buddy from college, love him so dearly. He is so instrumental in my walk and getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and his wife had an affair with his pastor, and he is outside the house of God. He has been away from God for 30 years, and he is such a powerful man of God that I love so dearly, and he's one of the guys that I called forth this morning. God, bring the prodigals home. He's a powerful man of God that loves Jesus. But his, his faith was shipwrecked when it happened. And he's seen God as not who he said he was. Abel was rewarded in death. Are you content with your reward being in the spiritual world and not the physical world? What if you don't see the promise on this side? Will you quit or are you going to die in faith? Are you going to quit or are you going to die in faith? Even if what you're believing and standing for doesn't come to pass the way you want it to come to pass. God was using this example with Abel to say, man, there's sometimes you get your reward here and there's sometimes you get it on the other side. And are we as Christians going to lose our faith because it doesn't happen on this side? The other question I have is what if others get the reward for the faith you are contending for? What if others get to see what you're actually contending for? I believe we're experiencing some of the things in the Spirit right now because of the people who by faith labored long before us in their knees and on prayer and asking God for a move of God's Spirit in this land. I believe we are actually on the backs of others. I believe there are grandmothers, there are people who have prayed and interceded over the 1900s to actually get to be a part and to see what we're actually experiencing today. But are we okay if somebody else experiences the blessing of what we're contending for? What if you contending for your situation actually gets reaped by somebody else? What if us contending for revival in this community and seeing hundreds come to know Jesus Christ? What if, and I hope it doesn't happen, I hope I get to see it, but what if it's the generation after me that actually gets to see what we're plowing ground for now? What if Emily gets to see something that I have been on my knees for now? Because that's what happened to Abraham. Abraham, as we're going to read here in a little bit, Abraham did not get to see... He lived in a tent for years, believing in a city and, and, and a believing in the promised land that he was going to get to occupy. And he temporarily was in a tent. But other people got to reap what Abraham believed God for. Are you willing to contend for healing in this place and not see it? Are you willing to continue for contend for people getting saved and, 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 and maybe your son, somebody else wins to the Lord? I don't know. Bear with me. Some things we will see on this side and some things we may not. But faith does not quit. People of faith do not shrink back because they know God will do what he said he's going to do. And it may be later. And I'm willing to trust even when I don't see it. Anybody else? Are you willing to trust God and have faith even when you don't see it? Because that's where I think a lot of the quitting comes from in the body of Christ. Is the delay, the waiting. Be still and know that I am God. The people of faith don't shrink back. And even when I have to wait, even if I don't see it on this side of heaven, faith is the substance, it is the ingredients that I tap into that bring hope for me. And so that I will see what I'm hoping for come to pass. So, are you guys still with me? Let's look into Hebrews here. And let's look at some of the things that the writer is asking them to remember. We remember Abel. And sometimes suffering comes. And now we're going to go to Hebrews 11.7. And we're going to look at Noah's life. I may not get through all this, but we're going to try to keep moving. So let's remember God's works is what the writer's saying. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household. 
by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, for years I've heard this preach that uh, what, what was it that Noah did not see? And uh, I'm not going to get into any um, turf wars here. Uh, we all, I've always heard it preached that Noah, divinely warned of things not yet see, seen, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark. And what was it that he did not see? And we always have heard that it was rain. And that Noah had never seen the rain, had never seen rain, and so he was believing God that because it didn't rain, I'm not going to say that's not happening, but in Genesis, in Genesis, on the sixth day is when it talks about it did not rain, and the, the earth was watered by the garden, and the mist, it, it says it was watered by that. I'm not going to argue, it makes for a good sermon that it didn't rain, but one thing I do know that he did not know, and he had never seen, was he had never seen a flood. Whether it was rain, I do know it was flood. Noah was believing God. When God said, I'm warning you, I'm going to send a flood on the earth. Whether Noah saw rain or not saw rain, I don't care. What he did not know is he had never seen a global flood. And he believed in godly fear that God had said what he said. And by faith, he began to prepare an ark. How long did it take Noah to build the ark? Do you guys remember? How long did he suffer getting accused, mocked, jeered? How often were people mocking him, trying to tell him he was stupid? Why are you building an ark? The, pe the, the people in the community really gave Noah a hard time if you go read that story. It was for a hundred years-ish that he was building this ark of, of Achiel wood, that he was building this thing out of faith, that even though people thought he was nuts, even though people thought he was crazy, God saved mankind through Noah. Are you glad Noah had some faith, church? You wouldn't be here if Noah didn't have some faith. Are you glad somebody had some faith? I'm really glad Noah had faith. I'm really glad that you and I are here because God preserved his creation through a man who he spoke to and he said, it's going to flood and the earth is going to be covered with water. And he said, in fear, I will do it. I will build it. How many times do you think he wanted to quit? Just as many times as you felt like quit quitting. How many times do you think he got mocked? Probably more than you've gotten mocked because he lived a lot longer than you did. Faith is the substance or the ingredients for things that are not seen. And faith requires action. God spoke to Noah and he put his faith in action by building the ark. Praise God. God was using this remembrance to the people, to the Hebrews of this day who were suffering and saying, remember the God's works. Remember how God saved his people. Remember the rainbow. Remember the covenant God made. Remember what Noah did. Remember what Abel did. Remember what Abraham did. Remember what Enoch did. Remember what Barak did. Remember what David did. Remember what all the heroes of the faith did. Remember, remember, remember God's works. The next one's my favorite. My son's named after him. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as a, foreigner, as a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were also heirs with him of the same promise. Everybody say promise. For he waited for the city, which is, has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to, receive, to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, can you imagine? I mean, when I think about this, and I reread this whole story, and I really didn't even, I, for some reason I'd forgotten it, but Terah, which was Abram's dad, they actually left the land of Ur, uh, before Abraham's call. And, and he, they had already taken off out of the land of Ur, and they had settled in Haran. And Haran was named after, Abraham actually renamed Haran, probably because of Lot's dad who died early, because his dad's name was Haran. And it's probably Abraham moved up there 
and uh, with his dad, Tara, but that's a whole other thing. But the issue is, can you imagine leaving your country? Can you imagine not knowing where you're going and God just saying, hey, yeah, just follow the Euphrates River north and uh, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take you to a new land. I'm taking you to the land of Canaan. Now, it wasn't like we had maps back then like we have, right? You know, Noah had no clue, or Noah, Abraham had no clue where he was going, but by faith, by faith, he took what was in the spirit realm and what was in God's heart, the promise of God, and by faith he connected believing God with what he said. He took God at face value and said, I believe it, and, the, and, and, and his faith was the ingredients that actually brought in the promise of God for us today. And, and, and God was showing these Hebrews, remember what Abraham did. I love this story. There's so much in Abraham's life. It is, uh, I love it, I love it. So he, you know, the other, I probably can't go into all the details. Yeah, I can't. I mean, the thousands of miles that Abraham actually traveled over many, many years. Abraham went through all kinds of trouble. He goes into the land of Canaan, and all of a sudden, what happens? There is a famine, a severe famine hits. Hey, guys, do you like not eating? Do you like your livestock? He was wealthy with livestock. He couldn't even feed his livestock. So what's he do? He has to go to Egypt. So he travels to Egypt, and he lies about his wife. Remember the whole story. Ah, she's not my wife. She's my sister. Don't kill me. Self-preservation. Anybody ever struggle with self-preservation? And he goes down there because he suffers. Then he goes to war because Lot takes off, and Lot gets taken by uh, the king of Sodom, and he has to go rescue him, and he goes to war. And I mean, it wasn't like a cakewalk, guys. Abraham had some rough stuff. Are you with me? Abraham had plenty of opportunity to quit. He did. And we see in the Word of God he struggled when it came to Isaac, his son, whether he was going to have a son. The dude's 75 years old. God said, I'm going to make you a nation out of you. It's going to be as numerous as the stars on the sky and the sand on the seashore. And Abraham's going, what can you give me at 75? I ain't got no kids yet. And then he has to wait another 25 years after the promise had already come. But God had what? Said. Say, God had said. God had promised, what? I am going to give you a son. God had said. And so at 90-some years old, God reminds him of what he had said. I'm going to produce a son in you. <laughs> at 90-some years old, my body's as good as dead, and Sarah's over there laughing and going, I have a menstrual cycle in a long time, God. You're going to have to do something really good. I mean, come on, guys, 90-some years. Grandma got pregnant. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Love his faith. Faith is the ingredients. The physical world said she's past childbearing, folks. The physical world said, that ain't happening. But faith is the ingredients to see into the supernatural spirit world. And that world said, God can do anything. Can we say God can do anything? God can do anything. Faith brought what was in the spirit world and in the heart of God to Abraham's physical world. And God opened her womb and he was calling the Hebrews to remember God's work of opening Sarah's womb. He's calling these Hebrews and saying, don't give up. Remember the works of God. Don't give up. Remember how God is the God of the impossible. Say, God is the God of the impossible. Now say it like you mean it. God is the God of the impossible. Mm, he opened her womb and he was telling these Hebrews he was telling these Jews don't quit Abraham didn't quit don't you quit Abraham didn't quit don't you quit all this remembering and I'm not going to go over all the stories in Hebrews man read it it's the hall of faith man go back and read the stories I've been doing that all week it's powerful but all this remembering God's works was renewing their faith in God they were remembering the faithfulness of God to their forefathers and the suffering and the pain they endured to get to the, promise to, to the promises of God. So here's what I want to say is in your suffering, in your trials, 
Don't quit. Don't quit. Remember God's works. Have faith, persevere, believe God, and obey him. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 was stacking some stones of remembrance to fire them up. Remember my message several months ago about stacking stones and how we have to stack our stones of remembrance? We have to stack our stones of remembrance of what God does and what God has done, not only in your life, but in, 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 in the people of this house. I mean, we're getting ready to celebrate our 25th anniversary as a church coming up next June. Tom's going to go on a sabbatical, and we're already going over the, the testimonies of what God has done. And you know what? We've forgotten a lot of what God has done, and we're racking our brains going, well, what are some of the testimonies? Oh, man, we are terrible at stacking stones. We are terrible at stacking stones. If you have a testimony of what God has done and set you free and done something in you through this house, i got to know it. you got to tell me. You have got to testify. We ask for people up here if they get healed, if they get saved. We want to know what God does in your life. And we've got to start stacking stones. I got some stacking stones. I love the marriage retreat we did last year. Jeff and Susan led that. And we went through this thing of memories of what God had done in our marriages. And Karen and I were weeping. It was like, oh my gosh, you're bearing this God healed. God did this. God did this. God did this. And we began writing all these things down as a memorial unto the Lord. And we were so thankful in our hearts. Our hearts were stirred by faith of what God has done. I'm telling you, he took a barren look and he gave her three beautiful children that are ornery as the day is long. Thank God they're more like her than they are me. God healed my son of paralysis. Paralysis, I mean paralyzed for three months. God intervened and he took faith and he brought faith and he moved the physical world and brought the spiritual world to pass. By faith, Emily has come back to the Lord and returned to her God. By faith. That is a testimony we cannot forget. Remember, remember, stack some stones. What has God done in your life? And we forget. We forget. We forget. And so the number one thing I want you to take home today, there's three things that you've got to do. Number one, you have got to stack stones. You have got to remember the works of God in your life and in my life. My testimony is your testimony. Shelly's testimony is your testimony. Jeff's testimony is your testimony. Mike's testimony is your testimony. And we've got to write these things down because there are times where you've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. Can I have an amen? When you think everything is going to that in a handbasket, you have got to remember the works of God. You've got to remember what God has done in this house. You've got to remember how God has changed people in this house. When the things aren't going in the church the way you want them to go, you've got to say, oh, that may not be what, where we're at, but this is what God has doing, done, and this is what he's going to continue to do. Because God is still God. So you've got to remember his works. Testimony, testimony, testimony. The hall of faith. We overcome the enemy by the blood of Jesus, the word of our testimony, and the other thing is you can't love your life even unto death. Even if you die believing, you're going to die believing. Can I have an amen? So you've got to remember his works. Because when we remember what he has done, it enables us to stop focusing on impossibility and instead focus on the God who does the impossible. I'm going to say that again. When we remember what he has done, it enables us to stop focusing on impossibility and instead it focuses us on God who does the impossible. Say God does the impossible. Remember God's works. That's the first thing that you've got to do. Remember God's works. Make a list of your stones. Remember what God has done and begin to make your list. If you don't make a list this week, I'm going to whip you. Your homework this week is to make a list of stones testimonies of what God did. First, start with your testimony of salvation. God came and rescued me. I was 13. I was in a church camp, and God came knocking on my door, and I gave a running and bawling like a baby because I knew I needed a Savior, and the Spirit of God was drawing me to himself. Start with your, sal your salvation. 
and start going back and start looking and pondering. Here's what the enemy says. The enemy accuses God's character and said, ain't nothing he's done. He tries to make you not remember. If you've got a problem with memory, guess what? Enemy might be involved, so just tell him, shut up. And ask God, God, bring back to my memory. Help me to remind myself of all the works, all the things you've done, all the blessings that you've done. Amen? So number one, what is it? Remember what? God's works, the testimony. Number two, you have got to remember God's word. Remember God's word. Remember what God has said in his word. Remember the promises of God. The Bible says that these hall of faithers, seeing the promises of God, of God and his word, they remembered what God had said to them, and God did what he said. Faith begins where the will of God is made known. Now, here is where I believe many Christians get really, really messed up, and I'm going to land this plane soon. I believe that where many Christians get hung up is they, they don't remember the word of God, the written word of God. They don't know the promises of God in his word. Amen. He, he, he just testified. We don't know the promises of God in his word. And so what we relegate ourselves only to many times is the prophetic word that is spoken over us rather than the word of God. The prophetic word should never, ever trump the word of God. The prophetic word should confirm the prophetic, the prophetic word should confirm the word of God. So what I find in the body of Christ is many times people are standing on their own lusts and their own desires and what they want to see God do for them out of their selfish pleasures rather than it actually being a promise from God that you're standing on. Spank, spank. That my lust and my desires for more, my desires for an easy life, my desire for no conflict, that that actually derives what I'm standing on rather than being the word of God and his promises. And we get led astray. I'm not saying we don't want the prophetic word here. This is a prophetic house, so do not hear me say that I do not want the prophetic. We want the prophetic. It should confirm what God has already promised in his word. But I talked to somebody yesterday who wasn't going to be able to come to the, the, uh, the, the church Christmas party. And they said, man, pray for me. I'm sick. And I don't, I just, I just, I just pray for me. And I said, listen to me. I said, you get your word of God out and you find me a promise in the word of God that says something about healing. I said, you get the word of God out, and I said, you get that word, and you find a promise in the word about, about healing. I said, you, you begin to memorize that scripture. You begin to pour over that scripture. I said, you begin to sing that scripture. You begin to praise him for that scripture. You begin to say, oh, God, I thank you that you forgive all my iniquities and heal all my diseases. I thank you that by your stripes I'm healed. Oh, by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed. God, I thank you for the word of God. I'm going to stand, and I'm going to believe, God, that you are going to make me well. God, I thank you for your and you. Stand on what? The promise of God. You war with it. So many of you don't have the scriptures memorized because you're not even warring with it. You're not using the promises of God to stand and to hand and stand even though the wind blows against you. No, my God has said through his word, I am the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. The word says I can do all things. But the Bible says in desires, and when it comes to desiring things, the Bible says this, delight yourself in the Lord. Say that, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in who? The Lord. And he will give the desires of your heart. Do you realize that the desires of my heart have changed so much now that I delight myself in the Lord? You know, we built a really beautiful home years ago, back in 1996. Really nice, expensive home. And that was a desire of ours. But guess what? That desire is just not there anymore. I thank God for my home. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we shouldn't have nice things. But I'm saying when I delight myself in God, my desires change. 
I no longer have the desire for things for me, but I want to see the kingdom of God come and people to be saved. I want to see this city set free by Christ. And my money goes to that, not to me. So we got to remember God's word. Can I please have an amen on that? That's good preaching, by the way. May, you may struggle with that in your theology, but that's okay. Let the Spirit of God deal with your heart. Because many people get off and they're standing on promises of their own lusts and their own desires and their own pleasures and their own easy life instead of the promises of God and His will for them in the Word. If God has said it in His Word, then I can war with that Word. I can be assured of that word. I can embrace that word. And faith is the substance or the ingredients that activate that word to my life. And I've got to take the same position that the heroes of the faith took. Whether I see it manifest in the physical world or not, my faith perseveres and I do not quit as I trust God, his word, and his faithfulness to me. I just may be like Abel, and I may not see the promise on this side, and I may cross over into eternity. But I also may be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, whether our God delivers us or not, we will not bow to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. We are going to stand and worship our God, whether you like it or not. And God came with a fourth man in the fire, and he delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on this side of heaven. And so sometimes you're going to get it on this side, and sometimes it's going to be on the other side. Are you okay with that? It may not happen the way you want it to happen. So number one, you remember God's works. Number two, you remember God's word. And number three is the tough one. You guys ready for number three? Going to land this plane. You got to remember, you need to grow. you got to remember, you need to mature. Now here's the part that I wished I had more time to develop. Read Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, 7, it says this, Endure hardship as discipline, for God disciplines those he loves. Oh, can you imagine these Hebrews who had been suffering for 25 freaking years? And he says, Oh! Endure your hardship, Jeff. Look at the hardship as if God's disciplining you. Most of us would say, uh-uh. And then Hebrews eleven twelve 12 goes further and says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But it must produce a harvest of righteousness and peace inside of you. Remember, you need to grow. These trials that you're going through is for your benefit. God loves you so much, he's bringing you through the, it, the trial. What the enemy has meant for harm, God is saying, oh, baby cakes, come on. You keep your eyes fixed on me. You remember my word, you remember my works, and see what I won't do. Because it's that faith, believing in me, that's going to activate the promises of, of what I have for you. This is good stuff, man. I'm going to put that in my pipe and smoke it. And I'm not a smoker. Please don't smoke. Smoke, nope. <laughs> Slang, sorry. <laughs> I love you guys. I know you love me too. Sometimes I say some crazy things, but you guys are patient with me. Thank you. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that the only truly, that only truly loving fathers discipline their children and God's discipline is from the deepest of love for us. So we've got to look at the hardships and the trials that we go through that actually God's using them to make us grow. That's why James could say with joy, count it all joy, brethren, when you undergo trials of many kinds, because those trials are producing a harvest of righteousness in you, that you might be mature, that you might finish the wake, that you might persevere in, in your trial and mature in your faith. Anybody want to mature their faith? So if I quit, my faith never gets matured. If I quit, my faith never matures. If I quit, my faith never matures. What I'm quickly learning 
is once I quit one thing, it sure is easy to quit other things. I'm finding that once you quit one thing, it gets easier and easier just to leave situations rather than to deal with the trial in yourself and to grow. We blame others and we leave situations and we leave relationships rather than staying in the relationship, staying in the situation and growing in our faith and maturing because we, want, we don't want pain or we don't want conflict and we quit. And so we withdraw from the situations rather than running to the situation and allow God what he's wanting to do to mature us in this trial. And many leave churches and they, they, they literally leave the situation because of the conflict rather than going to the conflict. Many marriages, they just leave the marriage because of the pain and the suffering that they're going for, through rather than embracing the trial and staying under it so that it produces in you the work that God wants to produce in you. Many are quitting when it is the very season of not quitting and persevering and pushing through the conflict, pushing through the difficulty, pushing through the heartache and saying, God, what are you wanting to do in me? I still need to grow. So don't blame others. Don't leave situations and relationships. But rather stay in them. Stay in them and say, I need to grow through this. God, what are you trying to show me? You have to remember, God wants you to grow. So we've got to remember God's works. We've got to remember God's word. And we've got to remember, I need to grow. Are you willing to do those three things and quit-proof your life? Keep yourself from quitting if you'll do those two, three things and you will get in God's word and you will hide the word of God in your heart so that you won't sin against him if you get in the word and you allow the word of God to come inside of you and you stand on his promises you stand on his word that faith activates and gives favor from God and that favor comes and it will produce something in you if you continue to remember the works and build up your testimony of what God has done in you through you through the church through the people around you remember what God has done I was just going through those memory lanes just this week thanking God for all the things that he's done thanking me for the thanking him for the time extra time he gave Gary back in 2014 thanking God for all the miracles that he's done and we've seen some defeats too. We've seen some things where we didn't win a battle, but we're not going to lose the war. Stand with me. I don't know how the Spirit of God's dealing with you. I pray He's dealing with you. Many of you are thinking about quitting something in your life. And you can't quit, man. You cannot quit. You've got to remember what God has done. You've got to remember God. You've got to remember his works, these heroes of the faith and what they did and what they went through. But there's also things God has done in you. There's some people who are away from the Lord right now and they've forgotten the things that God has said to them when they were younger. But God spoke to them and you've got to remember, wow, God did say that to me. God did speak to me. God did open my heart. And I've turned my back on him. And I, I need to turn my back away from this world and turn it back to God. As the Spirit of God was calling prodigals home today, come home. God is good. Remember what he's done. Remember what your life was like with Christ. Remember his works. Remember his word, get in the word and find the promise of God that you're going to stand on in the trial that you're in right now. You need a scripture to stand on in the trial that you're in. And you need to remember this trial is there because you need to grow. Father, in the name of Jesus, forgive us for wanting to quit. I pray today, God, that your word has encouraged us with what our forefathers have went through and how they did not quit because they remembered your promises. They remembered your word. 
And Lord, I ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us for when we've wanted to quit. We come back to you, God. We say yes to you. We say yes to making a list of testimonies and stacking stones. We say a yes to your word. And we say yes to you growing us up. Lord, we submit ourselves to you today as we enter into Advent and we enter into this Christmas season, God, where we celebrate Emmanuel, God, with us. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for manifesting yourself through your Son to us. We're so thankful. We're so thankful for who you are, God. God, draw us back to you as we set our affection to you, God. We love you and we give you praise. Lord, deal with our hearts right now. If there's anything that we need to give to you to lay down, if there's been any selfish desires that we've been standing on, God, we surrender them to you today. And we recommit ourselves to you, God, to follow you and to follow your ways and to believe you and to not quit. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.